Hey, Fidelity, can I get a second opinion on stocks in the Fidelity app? With Fidelity, it's easy to get an outside opinion from independent experts in a single score. And then? When you're ready, trade U.S. stocks and ETFs with no commissions. That's right. I am always right. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Sell order assessment fee not included. A limited number of ETFs are subject to a transaction-based service fee of $100. See full list at fidelity.com slash commissions. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Wednesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer, David Faber, live from separate locations. Stocks are on pace for a third straight day of gains amid a brighter picture this time. A protest largely peaceful overnight. Dr. Fauci with some encouraging words about vaccine development. ADP says job losses likely peaked in April. And as Andrew said, oil is hanging in the high 30s despite some consternation about uh, this OPEC meeting. Meanwhile, Jim, uh, another day of business leaders addressing racial inequality, whether it's Gorski on Squawk, Moynihan, Balmer, uh, this uh, letter uh, by Best Buy's Corey Berry, they're, they're out in force. Yeah, I, I thought that one of the themes that was uh, echoed by Alex Gorski that I really liked is uh, no more dodging. Look, I'm white. And I am part of the problem because I'm not doing enough. I think that there's been a a long uh, history of people who have said, I'm white, I'm older, I'm a CEO. I really can't do anything other than uh, have a committee and put some money at it. And I think that there's far more soul searching this time. Brian Moynihan, too. I mean, these are very heartfelt sentiments, but they're also sentiments which say, look, I'm rolling my sleeves up. I'm not just going to say my heart's. Uh, are going out with them. I mean, the hearts going out with them doesn't work. It it is something that is a platitude. Uh, It is something that gets nothing done. Uh, And when you hear it now, it's it's code for, hey, okay, I finished that. Let's talk about the numbers. So I I think that a lot of courageous actions, very different tone. Uh, David, you, you have to admit this is a tone which just says I have to change the way I do business, not I have to throw some money at it. Yeah, it does feel a bit different than it has in the past or than it did four years ago, Jim. Again, though, we'll have to wait and see whether there is a real impact from some of the things that are being discussed right now. And uh, as you point out, the committees that are being formed, the money that's being raised, it does sort of move along as well with the overall ESG movement. I sort of made that point yesterday. Again, it's something that we spent so much time talking about, guys, over the last couple of years as we seem to be moving to a certain extent away from just a sole focus on creating shareholder value, uh, you know, this, Jim, could also sort of be in in uh, part of that effort and perhaps even lead it in certain areas when when we're dealing and talking about things like diversity, of course. Well, one of the things that I think is the uh, elephant in the room, and you never you don't even hear the protesters say it is, look, it's the federal government that has the money, Uh, federal government that's big enough to help change things federal government that can help the schools. Uh, federal government is led by someone who I think a lot of these leaders perceive is, is not as involved as they are in these issues. Uh, that is something that I think is wholly different. Uh, hate him or like him, uh, President Trump is not uniquely in any of these discussions. Uh, and I struggle to figure out uh, whether that is because he's dangerous to, not, uh, to talk about or whether people just feel like they've given up. And that they have to take the problem themselves. Uh, but he's never involved in the conversation of these CEOs. And I think that's I'm not saying it's disingenuous. 
I'm saying it is a shame because the federal government is the only one really big enough to tackle these problems. And I know the CEOs want to do it. They've all set up different organizations. Uh, They all have infrastructures within the organizations. And they're just not as big as the federal government. And there's a lot of pretend here. And the pretend is, is that, you know what, we can solve the problem ourselves. I really love the fact that the CEOs are interested in ESG. I, I, I struggle to uh, listen over and over again to people who never say anything about where the president stands. Well, Jim, I mean, how many times have we seen CEOs line up at the White House around a big table with the president to talk about the airline business, talk about the hotel business, talk about manufacturing in the United States. What's, to, what's stopping the White House from bringing in these very leaders who are on our air every day to talk about this? The answer is uh, it should be done today, right? I mean, Ken Frazier, whom I think has been perhaps the most eloquent on our network, the CEO of Merck, uh, there are pictures of him being next to President Trump and then pictures of him no longer being in the room. Uh, and I think part of that is because Ken Frazier's man of great courage. But, yes, I mean, the, the, I, look, if I, I'm not the president uh, and I'm not a political guy, but I do hear all these great speeches by these terrific CEOs. And what I would do is call them in a room and say, hey, listen, you know what? I have heard you. This is a different conversation. Let's get together and let's do something big, not 50 million, but 50 billion. Uh, But that has to come from the federal government. And I think that you're absolutely right, Carl. The meeting is overdue. Uh, But again, the the reservations of anyone to to mention President Trump's name is extraordinary. Hmm. Yeah, well, I'd be Uh, curious to see you show up at that meeting as well. Yeah, Jim. Sorry, sorry Paul. I mean, you know, I, yeah, you point out you point out Ken Frazier. Of course, he decided to withdraw from the president's council. Remember that advisory council early on in the administration after Charlottesville. So, you know, you do wonder who would actually be willing to show up at the table or not. Right. Uh, it is the president, obviously. But that's still a question. But, but can we all admit that the federal government's the only one that's big enough to solve the problem? I mean, I, I look, I love that the companies are all trying to do their best. But uh, you know, this, this is a big country. But we have a federal government. This is a federal problem. And it is requiring federal dollars uh, besides just talk and, and talk. I'm not saying talk is cheap. These guys are, are actually you know, putting time in. They're raising money for the issue. But it would be fantastic if the federal government were to join the effort because we're in, we're 50 states and, and no company. I mean, Brian Moynihan, it, it, it's a nationwide company. OK, fabulous note today from Best Buy. Ken Frazier, fantastic. Steve Ballmer doing his absolute best. Alex Gorski, nationwide company. But they're companies and they have the right. Out. It's so great that the CEOs want to be involved. So what you need is to coordinate it and harness it and do something. But there's only really one person that can do that. And that's the president. But no one seems to say, and I am ready to meet with the president to get the job done. Now, if that's regarded as being left wing or right wing, to hell with you. I'm just saying, if you want to be practical, it has to be done by the White House in conjunction with these people. Yeah. Here's a quick listen of what Alex Gorski told the guys on Squawk this morning about being a leader in this period and accountability. Just as in business, when we take on any issue, there should be a plan, there should be objectives, there should be accountabilities, responsibilities. And so that's what we try to do at Johnson & Johnson. And it starts by having all of our leaders do a credo dialogue. And, and just yesterday, in fact, we had hundreds of these around Johnson & Johnson involving more than thousands of employees 
where we talk and we, we want to create a safe space where employees can, can bring their authentic selves, have a discussion, uh, and, and frankly have the freedom that they think is necessary to hopefully create a better understanding. Oh, there you go. That's not the thoughts and prayers. That's not the generic. That's not the cliched. That's a man who wants to roll up his sleeves. This is a man who's intensely interested in solving many different uh, diseases, including, of course, COVID. But he is saying, "Okay, my time needs to be reallocated. Uh, And that's fantastic. But I think that what he's saying is I want to lend a hand. I want to make a difference. But he's the CEO of J&J. I need the CEO of the country. The CEO of the country needs to sit down with the CEO of J&J and say, look, I see you're committed. I want to do that, too, because as big as J&J is and as important as it is, it is just a company. And I am so thrilled that the CEOs are more involved than I've ever seen them. But they need to be uh, they can't just come on CNBC. This can't can't be the end of the discussion that they're talking to their employees. They have to talk to the president. And I hope the president's listening and says, you know what, maybe we need a fresh start. We've got people who are just such amazing. Alex Gorski, West Point, fantastic, great company. I got to listen to what he has to say. He's not talking about left wing or right wing. He's not talking about Democrat or Republican. But he is certainly not going with hearts and prayers. And I find it a a pleasure not to hear hearts and prayers. Yeah, Jim, uh, one thing that uh, they didn't quite focus on as much this time with Gorski, of course, is news about a potential vaccine. I'm sure you saw the comments uh, from Fauci in this live Q&A with JAMA that 100 million doses uh, by year end uh, seems reasonable to him, couple hundred million by early 2021. And he did specifically zero in on Moderna, of course, uh, phase three beginning the first week of July. I thought it should have zeroed in on Regeneron. I, two weeks Regeneron starts. I know Regeneron's monoclonal antibodies, but I think that if we're going to have situations where the country is open, all right, and we're supposed to be able to get illness, Regeneron uh, has a, if you're going to be in the hospital, it's going to be intravenous. But most importantly, they've got the possibility of an outpatient injection cocktail. And what that would do is make it so if you got it, uh, it's not a death sentence. I think that we've uh, that, that I know Dr. Fauci, some of the interview was like, listen, the vaccine may not last long enough. But the whole tone of the science is better start catching up to the rest of the country that's open for two weeks, three weeks. And we haven't seen the spike. So now we're starting to get a little more cynical and saying, hey, there's no spike. Now, I think a lot of the spike up north uh, ended when you had social distancing and masks. I frankly don't understand the geography of how you could have all those people at the beach and not come down with uh, a big spike in cases. But uh, other than that, I regard an infinitesimal uh, number in Texas. It's not happening. David, it's not happening. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, listen, there is uh, again, we're always learning more. What we know now is a lot more than we knew two months ago, very different perhaps right. than some of the things that we were told, Jim. At the same, but one of the key things is if you're outdoors, it, clearly there, the opportunity to actually uh, get sick is, is uh, a lot less. Um, that said, we're still at 20,000 cases a day and we're right. not really going down. Uh, you know, I think that's an important point here. We're at 1.8 million, I think, overall, uh, 106,000 deaths. I'm just checking the latest numbers. Uh, and and we're not going down. I mean, we're plateauing, 
at around 20,000. But Texas is going up. California is going up. Alabama is going up. North Carolina is going up. Tennessee is going up. Now, they're off small bases and they're overall not that large in numbers, although some now are larger than actually New York's new caseload. Thankfully, New York in this area that we live in has come down dramatically so that it is even below that, I think, of what Texas is adding on a daily basis in terms of new cases. But so I am, but I it's am not surprised. completely going one no, way here, right. Jim. You're right, but I am surprised. I don't detect, I would love to hear that, the, that there's a, uh, a big social distancing movement and a big mass movement down there. I, I hear the opposite, which is that there are many people who are belittled if they wear masks. I hope that's not the case. Some of the stores, the national stores, obviously you're required to wear masks. But you're right, David. Uh, in Italy, it, well, there's still some spikes periodically. In Madrid, it seems gone. So you're right. You're absolutely right. I just feel like that there are many people in the South who are questioning uh, the whole policy. Yep, uh, we uh, knew very little going in and still still know very little, as, uh, as David points out. Guys, it's going to be a very big morning. David's got the head of Warner Music as we look forward to that IPO today. Uh, big story in the music business. We'll talk about Zoom's earnings last night. This employee meeting at Facebook. Vegas opens tonight. A lot more still to come when Squawk on the Street continues. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. A blowout quarter from Zoom last night. Sales uh, double the estimate. Uh, they take their guide up, Jim. The market cap's approaching uh, GEs, AMDs, targets. What a conference call. Uh, Eric Yuan is quite a man. He is a person who understands the enterprise, uh, comes from Cisco. He's a person who understands cybersecurity, admits that he didn't necessarily do the job. He just says, mea culpa. And the conference call is amazing because for the first time, you hear analysts not just say, hey, great job. You hear them say, thank you in this difficult time for keeping us together. Uh, someone as hard-nosed as Heather Bellini, whom I absolutely love at Goldman Sachs, she starts her, her questioning by saying, look, thank you for keeping our country together, basically. Uh, it is a remarkably positive conference call. Uh, by the way, he added uh, General McMaster to his board. I think there were some people who felt, including I questioned Eric about whether uh, he's too close to China. Uh, so you add McMaster, it's, it's not, he's not Ross, he's uh, a a, a former national security uh, advisor of the president, but mostly known as a great academic who studied uh, war and what we've done wrong. And I just am so impressed with Eric. He's I do go back and forth with Eric candidly. He's been a guest of uh, Mad Money many times and his enthusiasm for our country and his enthusiasm for for bringing people together uh, is exactly what we need. Uh, There is not a this man is not cynical. This man is someone who just is just so glad he did something like this. Now, obviously, 
He has to talk about the amount of money he needs to be able to take it to the next level. At all times, he's very conscious that the numbers were sharply better than expected. But he still doesn't think that there's, you know, he knows that there's more to do. Uh, Patrick Walgraves at, J- at JMP, he says, you know, he's talking, he says, uh, his, what, he's talking to his kids about Zoom strategies. And this is a remarkable company that was just a nothing in December, a nothing. And it's now become part of the culture. I've, I have never seen a company have this quick adoption in our, in our society as a verb, doing things that brought people together in a time of terrible stress. So I'm counting Eric Yuan as one of the good guys. <laughs> it's a great conference call. The analysts. Thank you. Thank you. Zoom wedding. Yeah, thank oh, you. No. There's a lot of catch-up on the sell side regarding uh, Zoom today, and we'll, we'll talk later a little bit more about some of the metrics, which did tick down a bit from uh, from April in the month of May. Quick break here, and a lot more still to come on this uh, Wednesday morning with futures looking higher. We're aiming for a fourth day up on the S&P and a third day up on the Dow. We're back in a minute. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. All right, time for a mad dash as we count down to the opening bell. About 10 minutes from now, we'll get started with trading on, I haven't forgotten, Jim, it is a hump day. Indeed. CrowdStrike is the name you want to focus on. Right. In, in the time of the pandemic, hump day seems, it, 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 it's, it's almost uh, impossible to reach. Uh, CrowdStrike, another company, uh, cybersecurity, that was made for this moment. Uh, they talk about how the COVID-19 Pandemic has created a breeding ground for cybercrime, and CrowdStrike's in there fighting it. Now, this is not an area that they're alone on. I had Zscale on this week. They're doing it. Uh, obviously, Palo Alto thinks that it is doing it, too. But this CrowdStrike is, I have them on tonight. They're talking about being the structural winner in this period. I don't think anyone would deny that George Kurtz has fully taken advantage of what's going on right now in the work-from-home movement. This work-from-home movement is supposed to be dead, right? But then it gets a second win from the riots. And all we know is, is that when you work from home, the bad guys know it. And you don't have the level of security that you have in the central office. So you need a crowd strike. And crowd strike is doing a fantastic job. The numbers go much higher. The stock goes higher. Yeah. Well, there seems little doubt that working from home is going to be something that there is more of once we are truly through this pandemic. How much more, of course, continues to be a key question, Jim, uh, in terms of commercial real estate, in terms of, well, just so many different things that are, are, are 
based in part on people actually going to the office. Well, so but much clearly we're going to have more people working remotely. Yeah, but, I mean, if you go yeah. over that Dell call, which we didn't spend nearly enough time on, uh, Michael Dell is basically tracing out a world. He took a lot of share from HP, by the way. Tracing out a world where your home is every bit as good as your office. And I think when I watch Carl and David, I, I say, OK, what's really the difference between me being here and you guys being there? And, and, and the answer is just that uh, somebody brings you coffee and I have to do it myself. Just yeah, kidding. Well, nobody brings Everybody coffee. brings their yeah. own coffee. No. We want to be together. Let's not make and, and any exec- mistake about I know. That. We want to be together, but I just want to correct something. Todd Bunn, our executive producer, has indeed bought, uh, brought me cups of coffee. That never happens in your and, houses. And we are much better off together. Together. We know that. You're Hopefully my friend. soon. Are you my friend? I know, but even when I come to the office now, you're 30 feet away from me, so I just get to wave at you. I miss you. Um, I miss Carl. What can I say? <laughs> hey, but I miss my wife. I've seen her a couple times. The dogs I miss. The dog named Nvidia is getting 13. That you got to work on that whole that whole thing. I, there's something. All right. Uh, well, listen, you know what? We're going to talk Warner Music, of course, because the company. Uh, remember, it was once a public company. Got taken private 2011. There's Stephen Cooper. He's the Warner Music Group CEO. He'll join us on our first on CNBC interview. Company's going public today. $25 a share is where it was priced. 77 million shares. A lot to talk about as Warner Music enters the public markets again. We got a lot more squawk in the street after this. Welcome back to Squawk on the Street. As our viewers know, we typically do follow mergers and acquisitions here when there is an announcement of a significant deal. But in the current period, it has been much more of a focus on deals that perhaps are in jeopardy and those that actually have fallen apart either by mutual agreement or by one side trying to get out of a contract. We can add now, Tiffany, at least to the list of those deals that are concerning for those investors who are hoping that they are going to happen. You can see where the shares are headed right now. The question is whether or not LVMH will follow through on that uh, deal. One of the largest of last year, November 25th, it was when it was announced, $135 a share, all cash, of course, a huge deal for Bernard Arnault uh, and LVMH to acquire Tiffany and part, part of their strategy to battle the likes of Richemont and, and companies such as that. Um, yesterday, Uh, Women's Wear Daily reported on a board meeting of LVMH in which there was at least uncertainty raised about the potential of the transaction. Uh, The article also citing debt covenants at Tiffany and obviously the disruptions to its business. The contract is a pretty tight one. The contracts in a lot of these deals seem to be fairly tight. And those would tell you that would take some gymnastics perhaps to get out of it, though. Never seemingly impossible. What I can tell you from my perspective is, having actually had done work on this as well prior to that uh, W uh, Women's Wear Daily story, is that uh, advisors on either side don't seem to be aware of anything at this point. What it may be coming from is the LVMH board and Bernard Arnault. Um, Tiffany uh, has heard nothing from LVMH in regard to either uh, any um, problems with the deal and or desire perhaps for a price cut in the transaction. They have heard uh, nothing at this point. Does it mean that there won't be? Does it mean that there is not a desire on the part of Mr. Arnault perhaps to see if he can wrangle a lower price for this asset? Uh, Don't forget LVMH stopped paying some of its uh, some rent uh, to its landlords. This is a company that certainly was in a position to have done so. And as one person said to me, Bernard Arnault didn't get to be the richest man in Europe, Jim, by being a kind and gentle soul. Uh, We'll see. Right now, they're working through the antitrust. 
They are moving at, a, at the typical pace. Things are a bit slower as a result of everybody working from home, including the regulators. They do have an August 24th drop dead date, but it can be unilaterally pushed out by three months by either side if all that is pending is antitrust approvals. We'll have to wait and see, Jim. You know, the other question is, does Bernard Arnault really want to end up in the Delaware Chancery Court if he wants to truly try to get out of this deal? Or is this really perhaps just a trial balloon to see if they can get a lower price? But, David, aren't there strict debt covenants that they would that Tiffany would be in violation if things don't get better? Yeah, although they're not that. I mean, they're, they have a three and a half times leverage ratio. I think that they've committed to being at or below. They're not, you know, they're bumping up against it or shouldn't say that. They're below it right now. Uh, yeah, business is bad. I mean, there's no doubt. Business is bad, Jim. And that, of course, is a key consideration here. But is this really an asset that Bernard Arnault wants to let get away? Because if, in fact, they do try to say, see you later, they're going to end up in court and they're never uh, going to be able to buy it. Most I'm likely. with you. I mean, Restoration Hardware RH has a great no doubt, which just says, look, the one area that's holding up is luxury. Why walk away from Uber luxury? Guys, there's the bell at no the NYC Gig Capital yeah, 3 celebrating its recent listing at the NASDAQ. It is Warner Music Group celebrating its IPO today, biggest of the year. And David's going to talk to the CEO in a few minutes. Uh, David, I think even the uh, pricing meeting, right, was delayed in solidarity with what the music industry did yesterday uh, regarding George Floyd. That's right. Uh, and so they actually priced it this morning. Uh, again, there's Stephen Cooper who will be joining us very shortly. Uh, 25 bucks. Um, well, I mean, uh, what I've heard, but I hear this all the time, of course, is seemingly a well-placed uh, book of investors. Uh, so we'll see how that, that stock performs in the early going here. We have, guys, we haven't seen many IPOs. Of course, we know that. It's been, uh, been shut off since the volatility sort of began. Uh, but this one and then Zoom info coming, Jim, soon after it as well. Yeah, we're going to be testing the IPO market. But yeah. this, this is a remarkable mar- I mean, this market does really have no conscience. I mean, look at this darn thing. Uh, and the brokerage stocks have just become, uh, along with the cyclicals, just loved. I mean, I'm watching Morgan Stanley come back to coming back to reacting to its great quarter. Uh, obviously, the issuance has been extraordinary. I mean, those stocks are very cheap. And I saw Wells Fargo yesterday uh, getting out of the riskier uh, uh, loan business for autos. But. That stock's becomes a, 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 lo- a loving st- a stock of the people who believe things are getting better. There's a big cohort of, of people who believe things are getting better, and they're buying the banks, and they're buying companies that have a lot to do with autos, like a Texas Instruments up five. That's auto, okay? That is not. That is just auto and, inter- and industrial Internet of Things. And I keep seeing it over and over again. NXPI, industrial Internet of Things, auto. That's what's working. But there's yeah, a lot no that doubt, Jim. isn't um, necessarily. Yeah. Go ahead, Carl. Uh, apologies, David. Uh, Reuters has a, a headline flashing right now, Jim, that the U.S. is set to bar Chinese passenger airlines from flying to the United States in response to China's refusal to let U.S. airlines resume passenger service. Uh, Reuters citing sources, Jim says, we'll hear more about this later on today. But that would be incremental to the ongoing uh, U.S.-China trade tensions that have been market negative, wouldn't you say? Uh, yeah. Uh, and, and I just uh, you know, th- this is the area that you kind of kind of keep, keep going. You want it to kind of get off the radar screen because 
Look, I'm waiting for some. I'm waiting the next positive news from Boeing is orders from China. Uh, That's kind of what I'm hoping for. Uh, I'm hoping for just because I want Boeing, a great American company, to do well. Uh, The airlines, again, are part of the cyclical trade. The cyclical trade is overwhelming the covid trade. And there is just no stopping it. And uh, Boeing's been a major leader. Uh, follow GE. GE's follow Honeywell. Yeah. I mean, these companies have been really strong. Amazing. I mean, off the bottom again. Now, GE shares are still down 35 percent. But the rally has been ferocious, Jim. Uh, oh, people, as we look at an S&P yeah. that is now down less than 4 percent for the year. A year in which we've had a worldwide pandemic. We've had unemployment numbers the likes of which we've never seen since the Great Depression. Uh, we've had social unrest that continues at this point. Uh, and, uh, well, so many other exciting things. But we have, we we have Germany. We, have, we found out what, what Angela Merkel is worried about. She's worried about social unrest. Uh, obviously, that has been an issue in Germany. They remember it well. And she's opening the pocketbook like you can't believe. Uh, 750, look, there's $750 billion up for grabs there, too. Uh, I think Europe is leading us out of this. A lot of the European companies, countries are doing very well. It's really worth watching. When you come in in the morning, you see our market up. It is reflection of how big Europe is up, starting at 4 o'clock. It's like, holy cow. And Europe's been up for many, many days. And now our companies that do business in Europe uh, and have business in autos, look at Dow Chemical. That had been just the biggest dog. And yet Jim Fitterling in there buying stock in the low 20s and coming on on 22 and mad money and says, stop worrying about the dividend. Well, that darn straight stop worrying about the dividend. The stock's at 41. So we're seeing a remarkable resurgence in the companies that we had written off. Incredible. Yep, incredible. Incredible. Um, Guys, let's uh, let's talk more Warner Music this morning. Of course, it is a feature uh, given the companies reentering the public markets. Uh, the first time since, well, 2011 is when uh, uh, Len Blavatnik led a group that uh, acquired it. His Access Industries, of course, continues to be the largest single shareholder. And they are the selling shareholder here, recall. This is not the company raising primary capital. It is essentially an IPO, but it is a secondary offering. The shares, the 77 million plus shares uh, that being offered were for sale by other shareholders. Um, let's bring in Stephen Cooper. Uh, on the phone and a first on CNBC. He's the company's uh, CEO. Uh, Stephen, congratulations on the offering. Nice to have you this morning. Thank you for being with us. Thanks so much. I uh, appreciate the invitation. Well, it's good to have you. Uh, Let's get right to the business itself. Um, Specific to some of the questions I know that you got during the so-called roadshow, it was obviously a different kind of a roadshow because of current conditions. But uh, your business has done extraordinarily well. The value that's been created by Mr. Blavatnik since he bought the company for, what, $3.3 billion or so uh, nine years ago has been extraordinary. Nonetheless, now that you're back in public markets, uh, margin improvement. Let's start there. Um, some, some investors are worried that it hasn't occurred as much as you said it would from the shift from physical to digital, that, you know, that should contribute a great deal of margin improvement and hasn't. How do you respond to that? Well, we do see um, better margins with digital. The, uh, the spread between digital and physical is about 15 points. We have, um, however, uh, with Access's support and, um, um, you know, patients, have consistently reinvested 
much of our free cash flow into building not only the brain power but the muscle mass of the business, David. We, uh, we can see, as a result of any number of those programs, our margins improved um, nicely in 19, and we have some well-laid-out roadmaps to continue to enhance margin in the future, particularly as the physical side of the business continues to contract. Right. Uh, obviously, streaming has been the engine of growth for your company for some time and continues to be. The growth of streaming is quite strong, but it is decelerating. Is that a concern to you? Well, it's decelerating because the numbers continue to get bigger. But frankly, when you look at when you look at not only the mature markets, but the emerging markets, Streaming has, uh, from our perspective, still meaningful, meaningful growth. The, um, the, uh, the number of people utilizing streaming, when you look at that number versus the smart device population, we're still in early stages. And because, because we believe that music really is the only global language on this planet that streaming and and the ease of utilizing streaming will continue to drive adoption, both in the developed and, and the emerging markets. Yeah, uh, and obviously you go into detail on that in the S1. Um, Apple and Spotify, speaking of streaming, are 27% of your revenues. Um, they are growing, but that's a meaningful amount of your revenues. And I wonder, does that give them more power to extract more value from you uh, and other distributors as well? Um, no, we, we uh, you know, content is, is a critical component of any service. We're on very good relationships with our streaming partners uh, I think we've reached a point where the economic model is got a high degree of stability. And I would point out, David, that there are new models that utilize music as one of their foundational building blocks emerging every day. A couple of years ago, you know, Peloton was associated with um, people dressed uh, in very colorful uniforms riding bikes over the Alps. Today, it's an exercise app. Nobody heard of TikTok two years ago. The social platforms are embracing and adopting new, new uses of music. So, so we think distribution will continue to be fragmented. New use cases will pop up virtually every day, and that combination will continue to drive the growth of the utilization of music. Uh, obviously, the artists are a key to all of this, and you have a great stable of them, some of them we've just been watching on the screen. Um, do the artists have more power? Uh, and if they continue to have more power with you, does that result in royalties and uh, advances becoming higher for them, perhaps, again, coming out of your side of things? Well, um, first of all, the way we see it is the role of the label 
and and music publishers, you know, in our case, Warner Chapel and all of our labels are more important than ever. The um, not only streaming, but these but these new models that are emerging are making the music ecosphere more complex than ever, and navigating through that ecosphere, ensuring that artists get the appropriate exposure and separating truly, truly great music is, is really what we do. Today, tomorrow and the day after, more than 40,000 tracks will be uploaded on all of these services and being able to navigate our way through that and get our artists heard is what we do. Right. Stephen, a couple of questions on the current uh, conditions we find ourselves in. Let's start with, um, with the social unrest uh, and the concern. Of course, you have so many high-profile uh, African-American artists. Um, a lot of revenue for your company is generated in that community as well. What are you doing? How are you approaching uh, what's going on right now? Well, the, um, it's, it's a shame that, you know, in 2020 that racism, you know, social inequality, violence are, are still even present on the planet. That being said, we, we announced this morning the formation of a $100 million fund that we're going to utilize to fight social injustice to bring more social equality uh, to the forefront and to support in the music ecosphere uh, musicians in need. You know, yesterday we observed uh, Blackout or, or, you know, the show must be paused. But yesterday was one day of reflection, and we're going to play the long game by supporting groups that are that are working to eliminate racism inequality and violence it's it's the right thing to do and we're committed to do it david yeah um as well of course we are still in the midst of a global pandemic which certainly is having uh, an impact on concerts uh and things that go along with them licensing revenue uh for example as well for movies, given production is not happening. How significant is that going to be in terms of a hit to your overall revenues? Well, about 70% of our revenue is digital, so we've been um, quite resilient during this crisis. We were, we were also very quick to pivot, literally, in a 24-hour period around the globe. We moved from roughly... 100% work from office to 100% work from home. And we have been able to continue to bring our artists and their music to the marketplace, even though we're doing it from home and virtually. We continue to sign artists and songwriters. Um, there are obvious parts of our business, our physical business, our merchandise, um, our promotional touring that have um, slowed down, but we expect those to recover over the coming months as as the world opens up a bit 
we we have also been spending a lot of time um, exploring and experimenting with um, uh, you know virtual uh, reality live streaming uh, new new use cases for music so that we can continue to impactfully connect our artists with their fans. Interesting. Uh, and finally, Stephen, back to the offering itself. Of course, Access Industries, as I pointed out, uh, a huge win for that company from when it purchased it and how it's changed Warner Music and the value it's created. Uh, still will control 99% of the vote. Um, do you expect Len Blavatnik and Access to continue to sell shares over time? Well, I think that, uh, you know, just to get it said, Access has been a, a great owner, um, very supportive. Uh, they've encouraged us to reinvest in the business and play the long game. And um, from everything I know, they will continue to be deeply involved and uh, very substantial owners for the foreseeable future, David. Uh, all right. Well, we'll be following, uh, of course, given that you are now a public company once again. Congrats on that. And thank you for joining us. Thank you for your time. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. Stephen Cooper is the CEO of Warner Music Group. Carl. All right, David, thanks for that. Uh, watching the markets on this Wednesday morning, S&P 3106. And as uh, Jim said earlier, watch Europe. The DAX is up 7% in the last five days above its 200-day for the first time since late February. Welcome back to Squawk on the Street. Rick Santelli here live at CME HQ. Boy, what a day we have so far with respect to the market. You heard from Carl, the DAX is flying, the euro is flying, and job losses, or at least what we suspected on EDP, ADP this morning, was just a fraction of expectations. Listen, down 2.7 million isn't a good number, but it's much better than down 9 million that was expected. So you see at 8.15 Eastern on this three-day chart of 30-year bond yields, how they moved even higher. And if you move towards mid-March, we are right now at the best levels on a closing basis for 30s, well, since mid-March. And if you look at 10s and 30s together, you can clearly see how the 30s have outdistanced themselves. As a matter of fact, if you look at the note over bond spread, affectionately known as the knob, you can see it is now the widest, the furthest up and furthest apart it's been in four years. Dollar index, the mirror image of the strength in the euro, is at the weakest level in 12 weeks. And if you open it year to date, we're getting ever closer to 96.40, where it closed. One of the reasons that Europe is doing so well is because shared debt opens many more possibilities, and they're finally on track to try to deal with some of the stimulus issues of their impacted economies. Carl, back to you. All right, Rick, thanks for that. Uh, Rick Santelli. Jim, I want to get you on the uh, NDX. Uh, Three-tenths away from an all-time high. Uh, Bespoke did some work uh, yesterday looking at um, up, up 30% in 50 days. I mean, you go out a month, three months, six months, it's usually up even from that. Yeah, when I look at the it, – it's actually a great pastiche. There's not uh, – I was going over the components. It, it, it's pretty much everybody. You think that there, uh, a handful would do it, uh, led by Fang or something, but no – there, it's just very, very broad. Uh, again, 
So many companies seem to be made for the moment. It is hard to believe whether it be the moment for uh, for work at home, whether it be the moment for 5G, whether it be the moment for return of the uh, autos, whether it be the moment for the return of housing. And it's not a fang rally, uh, although Facebook played a role. Amazon's got so many things going, but it's it's a Zoom rally, for heaven's sake. I mean, Zoom, they fought it. They wanted it lower. They felt they could press it down. Good luck. <laughs> Yeah, we never even got to purchase applications up 18. Year on year, if, if I had told you purchase applications uh, to buy a home would be up 18 year on year uh, I, you, in, this, in this pandemic, uh, you, that would have gone nowhere. But there are people who are coming up to me and telling me, listen, I'd like to buy your house. I mean, why? Well, I know where it is. I mean, do you want to look at it? I haven't redone the floor. You know, you know I'm just happy. I just, you know, like, where it's uh, summit schools. No, I mean, there's just this movement. Uh, that no one's seen in a very long time, particularly uh, to the suburbs that have not had any buyers in years. It's real. The counter-urban is what David calls it, and he's right. Yeah. As uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, uh, just a shade under 26K. Guys, one more break here. We're back in a minute. Banks, industrials, materials all leading today. Uh, Take a look at J.P. Morgan up 3%. Best performing Dow stock getting awfully close once again uh, to that highest level since March 6th when it closed at 108. We're back in just a moment. It's time for Jim and Stop Trading. There's another time where all we'd be talking about this morning is Katie Uberty's incredible note saying she thought that the forecast for service revenue might be uh, 35%. Uh, might be 18 percent. It's going to be 35 percent. This stock is just a few points off its all-time high for, uh, what, I guess four points. I think it blasts through. Read Katie Ubris note. The services component is insane. People are at home. What are they doing? They're ordering things from Apple. Don't forget, my big issue with Apple has been contactless credit because, boy, people don't want to get that COVID-entrusted keyboard. You get that little keyboard, you know, a little number in. It's like, holy cow. So, yeah, Apple contactless and Apple services to the moon, Alice. Katie Uberty, no one's talking about it. I just did. I I know. I I saw it this morning, Jim. But even as we're talking, the president's with Brian Kilmeade on his radio show saying he's not excited about anything with respect to China trade right now. Where did the trade risk go on Apple in China? Well, uh, they just cut prices. I don't know the. I'm just president's off the reservation here. I mean, hey, listen, you know what's what's good for Apple? It's good for America. It's like General Motors in the old days. I mean, you got to give it the program. Yeah, I said it. Tweet me. Uh, I don't care. <laughs> Jim, how about tonight? Okay, I got CrowdStrike. Holy cow! I mean, CrowdStrike. Yes, yes, the cyber criminals are moving everything up. And then Ken Romanzi, well, you know, B&G Foods, that's comfort food. That's uh, Green Giant, which is what, if you look in my uh, pantry, we have because uh, my wife believes that we're going to have thermonuclear COVID. President ought to take down Nike. Is President cutting number of Starbucks? What do you think? Does the President say he's boosting them, going uh, hold to buy yum, but uh, buy to hold yum China? I mean, what's he got going there? Is he focused? Yeah, he's making Boeing a lot orders. of headlines this morning. Maybe he wants to hurt Boeing. Maybe he just said, listen, I'm not letting Boeing have a single order from China because um, China. Yeah. There I go. We're, there we're I did. I articulated the about. whole plan. I just did it. 
Peter Navarro, come on. It's okay. It's okay for our companies to be. We have a 20% unemployment. Could you let us have some employment? And then we go after them. There. I just spoke against Smoot, Hawley, Hoover, Trump. All them. That's been your been your view, Jim. Yeah, uh, absolutely consistent. It's okay, we'll, we'll see it tonight. Never take your economic policy from Hoover. We knew that Hoover no good, doesn't work. FDR money. smarter. Sorry, sorry that I didn't praise tonight, Hoover. Jim. No, it's all good. Yeah, good Hoover. Good. Hoover had a we'll damn, see you later. and boy, he had a Maytag. All right, there. I said it. Criticize we'll just, me. We'll see you, Jim. I do I... care. <laughs> You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.